This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, Ashley and I actually, a few days ago, we went to a state park and we took Dallas for a walk. Yeah. And I just wanted to let everybody know, I did not go missing. <laughs> He's still here. I'm still here. I was on very high alert, though. I bet. I'll tell you that. It was, I was checking around the corners. I was listening to make sure that Ashley was still behind me. You know, I didn't want anybody to go go missing there. Um, it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just scares the crap out of me. Oh, I know, dude. I you know. know, just I am on a hike and I'm gone. Right. And I, but don't worry, I'll be back in about 18 months. Yeah, 18 months. And it'll be uh, 300 miles from here. Right. I'll end up in freaking Texas or something again. <laughs> um. All right. So we got some big news for you guys. And we teased to this probably a couple months ago. But. We have finalized everything now, and we wanted to tell you about our live event. Yeah. We are having a live event on October 20th from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. here in Nashville at Hale Dark Aesthetics. So do us a favor. Go over and check out Hale's website and check out all the stuff they got. It's a really cool store. Yeah. I mean, this place is it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got some stuff you've never seen. You wouldn't expect to walk into a store and see. Right. And some of it's creepy. Some of it's cool. Some of it's creepy cool. So, yeah. I mean, they've got, you know, taxidermy and skulls and occult stuff, occult yeah. books. Um, they've got stuff from autopsies, like all the tools and stuff. I mean, their whole thing is we buy weird stuff. Yeah. And that's exactly what they do. So, I think it it's going to fit our show and Hillbilly Horror Stories show very well. Um, we'll be doing the show with Hillbilly Horror Stories and Macabre Melts and EVP Mediums. So if you guys want to check that out, go to our website, and there is a link there to go buy tickets. The tickets are going to be $10, and that'll get you for the three hours to see us and Hillbilly Horror Stories and talk, meet and greet, all that good stuff. So y'all should go over there, check that out, and come see us in October. Yeah, that's right. We we would love to meet y'all, and uh, it gives you a chance to look at uh, Adam and uh, my ugly mug. So yeah, come yeah. on out. I think it's going to be a really, really good time. Yeah, it's going to be a blast, and we hope to see a bunch of y'all there and get to talk shows with you and all that kind of stuff. And while you're on the internet buying those tickets, Go over and check out Hail Dark Aesthetics website. You can check, just search Hail Nashville, and it'll pull it up. Go check them out. 
You may find some stuff that you want to buy from there. I know I do. Every time I walk in that dang store, I walk out with something to go in my collection because, as you all know, I collect weird stuff. So they are basically a, a storefront that embodies me. Yeah. It's it's really cool. It's like something out of Harry Potter or something. Yeah, it, it kind of is, man. It kind of is. I didn't think about that. Um, but another little bit of information here is we are off next week. I know it's come around quick again, but next week is our off week. Um, so, you know, check out some other shows and stuff while you're waiting on us or go back and listen to some of our old shows that you may not have checked out. Um, Ashley and I are going to go out of town and I'm going to go radio silent for the weekend. So I won't be on the interwebs or anything like that. We're just taking a break. We're mellowing out and all that. But we will be coming back on the first week of July with our first episode on Lake Monsters. Yep. Adam's going to pull a mat. He's going <laughs> to he's going to absolutely ditch social media. Right. <laughs> be like you know, we get the text every once in a while. Is Matt still alive? Is he reading this? Yeah. So, you know, don't don't worry. If you if you're in the Facebook group and you wonder why I haven't commented or something, don't don't take it personally. It it's me. It's not you. I mean, I do it to Adam all the time. Dude, I know. I have to I have to text Amanda occasionally and just go, "Hey, uh, poke poke Matt if he's near you." Yeah, if Matt is still breathing, tell him I need an answer on this. And sure enough, I'll get an answer then. But you know, so it it's just Matt I'm, is Matt. I'm the, I'm the worst. That that's why we love you, though, Matt. That's why we love you. So let's go ahead and let's get into tonight's episode. All right. So tonight we are going to be talking about dragons. Dragons won out uh, in the right. vote for what we were going to do next. So uh, as promised, we're going to be discussing um, the mythology uh, of dragons. And we're going to talk a little bit about what dragons were and did they really exist and what might have been confused as a dragon, you know, things like that. Uh, and I, I think, uh, I think y'all are going to enjoy some of the stuff that we were able to dig up. Yeah. It'll be a good episode. I think so. Not just cause it was, you know, my topic. That's right. <laughs> yeah. This is yours. I should, I should have just said, all right, we're doing superhumans tonight. And you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And just every time Adam talks about dragons, I bring up some fact about superhumans. That would make an interesting <laughs> show. Completely <laughs> not research the topic at all and do my own thing. If we're still doing this in four years, <laughs> then we'll make a promise to do something like that. That's right. That's right. That would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd, have, we'd put way too much work in it. It wouldn't be spontaneous. Enough. That's true. We'd, we'd That's try true. to make it work. That's true. So, uh, so anyway... Uh, back to the topic at hand, which is dragon. Uh, yeah, no mythical creature is as widely known and varied as dragons. Uh, they have been immortalized in books and movies and television and games, art, toys, songs. Yes, songs. You name it. Um, you know, dragons have they have penetrated. You know every possible aspect of you know uh, uh, creative outlets 
you know, so, you know, somebody has decided that they're going to incorporate a dragon into something they're they're doing, whether and, it's a story or whatever. And now they've penetrated the podcast outlet. That's right. So, so here they are. This is the Dragon Podcast. So. <laughs> but were these creatures really just the product of an author's imagination? Or were they actually living animals that served as the inspiration for a century of tales, centuries of tales? Virtually every culture around the world has a story or stories about dragons, from the giant fire-breathing reptiles of medieval lore to the horse-sized feathered creatures of Chinese mythology. It's fair to say that uh, at least the idea of dragons has enchanted people for centuries. But were they real? So when you hear the word dragon, everyone has a basic idea of what it is. In Western culture, dragons are these huge apocalyptic serpents breathing fire, destroying anything that threatens their hoard of gold. In Eastern culture, dragons are considered to be magical, almost divine. They have magical powers, uh, and their appearances range from beautiful to absolutely terrifying. And although their appearances and powers may vary, their temperament doesn't really vary that much right you know so um so adam's going to talk a little bit about um some of the cultural uh themes on on dragons and and some of the ideas that that came out of uh of different cultures around the world right and as matt said you know each culture kind of had a different thought on dragons they they all had some symbol that was the dragon but they looked at them differently. So in China, we'll start there because everybody knows that, you know, China has the year of the dragon and you yeah. can kind of picture that long serpentine dragon mm -hmm. that they have in their parades and all that. And dragons have always been a symbol of wisdom, power and luck in the Chinese culture. And unlike the Western dragons that Matt had mentioned the oriental dragons are usually seen as benevolent and kind rather than evil. But dragons have long been a symbol in Chinese folklore and art, and they've even built temples and shrines and stuff around to honor them. Now, let's move over to Germany. And Germany has a long history of dragons and a bunch of different legends and tales and myths. And it's a very important part of German lore. Um, they're usually portrayed as evil and stories are told of how people outsmart and kill them. And there are several different types of the German dragon. And I'm going to pronounce these wrong because... That's what we do. That's yeah. That's kind of become a theme. Um, the Nidhogg, the Fafnir, the Jormungand are some of the more famous dragons from Norse Germanic mythology, and there are actually four different types of dragons in German stories, and they're known as the Lindworm, the Fire Drake, the Black Worm, and the Puck. And so let's talk a little bit about those. Now, we'll start with the puck because there's not a whole lot written about the puck, but it's a small dragon spirit with four feet, and it lives in households and usually brings stolen goods to
to the head of the house. And stories of the puck started in Germany and then would spread outward through Europe and on from there. So this one is more of like a spiritual, like an ethereal dragon. Yeah. Um, it's small and doesn't really hold the the attributes of a lot of these other dragons with breathing fire and all that. Yeah. And, you know, um, pucks were really playful. Mm-hmm. So you could actually, you know, they, they were smaller. And so um, the stories say that, you know, you could actually, you know, get a puck and and play with it and it would let you hit it with a stick. Usually they curved. Would, that, yeah, stick. curved stick. Mm-hmm. And they would hit it into like this big, uh, this big net, you know, like a like a goal. For some reason, this isn't in my notes. Um, I'm it's looking. The hockey dragon. I'm looking, but this is not anywhere. I think you made that up, man. Maybe. Yeah. May, mayhaps. Yeah. Mayhaps I did. Um, so the next one we've got is the black worm, and it's mentioned in a tale of a greedy man. The dragon sleeps cold around its hoard of treasures, but it's not big enough to fit around all of it. While it is sleeping, a man sneaks into the creature's cave and quietly fills his pockets with gold. He wants wants more gold, so he calls to his wife to come in and get some gold. This awakens the dragon, who roars, scaring the man into dropping the treasure he took. When the man runs away, the black worm and its gold sinks into the ground, never to be seen again. Yeah. Look, everybody knows that you can't be stealing gold from a dragon. You have to get a hobbit. Exactly. Hobbits are the best at stealing gold. Because they can they can turn invisible. <laughs> right. And sneak in there with the ring. Right. And get it. Yeah. Now, That's that, I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, you're you're talking my language here. I I <laughs> love the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Great books, pretty good movies. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the next one we got are fire drakes, and they usually are found in caves guarding a treasure, and they can breathe fire to defend themselves from intruders that are looking to steal their treasure. The dragon that Beowulf defeats toward the end of that poem is actually a fire drake, and speaking of the hobbit, Smaug is actually a fire drake as well. Smog. Smog. Well, it's not <laughs> smog. They and they say it as smag or something like that. Something ridiculous. But now, you know, look, I had the record, the the actual LP album of the the old um, animated Hobbit. Right. You know the original animated movie, and they said smog, and he said smog. Right. So uh, as a kid, I thought. It's smog. S-M-O-G. S-M-O-G. Until yeah. I was old enough to actually sit down and read the books. Right. But I still said smog. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why I say smog, but because it I looks like, like it. S-M-A-U-G, like- so that's smog. That's not smog, <laughs> that's smog. Sounds like you have a really weird accent. <laughs> that dragon named Smog. <laughs> it's a fire drake. <laughs> like southern women and dragons yeah <laughs> do you like that smog so the next one we've got are lindworms and they're depicted usually as a monstrous serpent sometimes with front claws and wings other times just with front claws and they are evil creatures and considered a bad omen 
They will invade churches and churchyards, digging up corpses, and when cattle or other livestock go missing, it's blamed on a lindworm. They are thought to be greedy creatures and guard hordes of treasure as well in underground caves. And in some German tales, the lindworm is a human that became so greedy it transformed into a monster. And there's a lot of stories like that through history where someone becomes really greedy and they're cursed to be a dragon. Now, let's move on from Germany and let's move into Rome. And Rome really doesn't have a dragon that's unique to them. Uh, What they do is they base a lot of their stories on Greek mythology, and they've expanded those and changed some of the names into Roman names. Roman dragons usually combine the serpentine Greek dragons with the dragons of the Near East to give us a dragon that's kind of close to what we imagine as a European dragon. But, you know, the long body, the four clawed feet and a crest upon its head. So we start getting into what we picture when we picture a dragon. Now, the Western dragons, these are the ones that most of us in America or Europe will think of when when we think of dragons. They're the stand on all fours, Mm -hmm. big wings coming out of the back, long body with kind of a long neck. And that's kind of what we think of. And the Western dragons are it. They're traditionally a symbol of evil. And a typical Western dragon can fly and breathe fire. And again, many legends describe the dragon as greedy and keeping hordes of gold and other precious treasure. In myths and folklore, dragons were monsters to be conquered. And there was always some hero that would go out on a crusade and conquer this dragon. And it's also been used as a symbol of war in Western societies. The Viking longships that were called the Drakkar or the dragon were used to transport Viking warriors on their raids across Europe. So we've used this in, you know, symbols and everything just as kind of a, a powerful presence right. and a, a powerful symbol for everybody. It's, it's almost like it's the the embodiment of of strength and power, and you know, it, you know, of course, the idea of fire, you know, harnessing fire was was another you know conquering of the human race. We, we've harnessed the power of fire. Right now, here's a beast that's been able to harness the power of fire within itself. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything about dragons, you know, it's almost as if society, uh, you know, throughout the centuries, just put all of those ideas and symbols of what they revered as either strong or powerful or evil into these creatures. Right. Right. You know, if, if I'm coming to, if I'm coming to, if I'm a conquering warrior and my army's coming, what, what more fierce, fearsome character? I can't talk tonight. (laughs) Jeez. What more fearsome character would I put, you know, as my sigil than a dragon? Right. 
you know, and you see that a lot in, in, in television and in novels, you know, that the, the dragon is this embodiment of the all powerful, all conquering warrior, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, you see, you know, Game of Thrones, especially, I mean, you know, that the, the whole thing almost seems about dragons, essentially, right? You know, that's that's the underlying theme for all those books. And then it it emerges forth. And of course, you know, who controls the dragons is who controls the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, it's just a thought, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, that, that, you know, real or not real. The idea of the dragon was real. I mean, you weren't showing up to war with a dragon painted on your armor People going, well, you got there painted on your armor, dude. Mm-hmm. No, they knew. Right. They knew. Right. And along those same lines of powerful, if you were a warrior wanting to, you know, prove your salt, what what would be the best thing to go out and fight to prove to everybody that you were the greatest warrior yeah. of all time? Yeah. It would be a dragon. So if you could say, I have killed a dragon. You know, then you were just a badass that everybody should respect and fear. Yeah. I mean, all those stories of knights and maidens, I mean, you find them, you know, King Arthur even has, mm-hmm. you know, how uh, how George defeated the dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, those stories are, you know, they're they're great because that's what it, it's this good over evil. It's I am a champion because I was able to conquer this this powerful creature. Right. And and either, you know, rescue the maiden or steal the gold or save the the township or whatever. Right. You know. Right. So they're, you know, they're they're used as that that imagery that we're we're going to create a being that when you look at it, this is what you think. Mhm. You know. You, you think you know, either evil or power or fear or all of those things. Right. So uh, one more, we've got the Welsh dragons. And the image of these dragons, they're usually like a rough, scaly skin that's kind of like a leather hide couch. And they've got bat-like webbed wings and vicious claws. And... These dragons were some of the ones that they would fight the lengthy battles with a foe. And the Welsh actually have memorialized this dragon on their national flag. The Welsh dragon was associated with Wales in the, I can't pronounce this, in the Historia Britonum. Close enough. Yep. And it's an ancient text that purportedly was written about 830 by the monk Ninius in the earliest known history of the Britons and neighboring Wales. Is that in the AM or PM? Uh, I, I think it's PM. 8.30 PM. <laughs> Jeez, Matt. Jeez. It's, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> not a, too far off. No, we got a couple minutes. Um, so with looking at all that from, you know, the different cultures and everything, let's kind of talk a little just a short history of these dragons. And the earliest attested dragons were 
more snake-like, like giant snakes, kind of mm-hmm. like in China, um, where they are the really long creatures. And they were described in mythologies of the ancient Near East, and they also appear in Mesopotamian art and literature. And stories about storm gods slaying giant serpents occur throughout nearly all of the Indo-European and Near Eastern mythologies. And written about 2000 BC, the famous Epic of Gilgamesh records the slaying of the monster Humbaba in Mesopotamia. Humbaba was the terrifying guardian of the cedar forest of Amanus. The powerful Mesopotamian god Enlil placed Humbaba there to kill any human that dared disturb its peace. Humbaba was a giant creature, terrifying to look at. Sometimes he is pictured as a large, humanoid-shaped, covered with scales and plates. His powerful legs were like that of a lion, but with talons of a vulture. His head had a bull's horns and tail like a serpent. Now, alternatively, some sources give Humbaba the form more like a dragon and one that could breathe fire. All right, y'all, we wanted to take a quick second and tell you about a friend of our show, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. And if you like our show, you're really going to like his show. They have something for everyone over there. They run the gamut from paranormal to unsolved mysteries to the true stories behind some of history's most interesting people and events. And they dig pretty deep on them a lot like we do. I just listened to The Quick and the Dead Part 1 And I really loved it because my granddad and I used to sit down all the time and watch westerns. And this episode actually tells you a lot of the true history to some of the West's most interesting people. Right, Adam. And the host, John Hagedorn, has a conversational informal style, much like yours and mine, uh, where he makes history come alive, often adding tense drama and situations that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Some of his more recent episodes, like The Killing of Mata Hari, Jack the Ripper, Amelia Earhart, and listener favorite Bonnie and Clyde, Born to Die. Uh, he recently did a three-episode series on the Rat Pack that I really enjoyed. He's also got a short story podcast called A Thousand and One Classic Short Stories, where he narrates everything from Jack London to one of my favorites, H.P. Lovecraft. So he stays really busy making great shows just like we do. Right. And I have no idea how he keeps up with all that because we have trouble doing what we do and doing one episode for one show every week. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how he does it. That's right. And to catch his show, just search 1001 Heroes Podcast anywhere that you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Overcast, even on Alexa. Again, that is a thousand and one heroes, legends, histories, and mysteries podcast. And we will leave a link to their website in our show notes. Go check them out. Now let's get back to our show. Okay, Adam. So there are some references historically that mention dragon. Mm -hmm. And one of the most commonly used reference is the Bible. Right. Now, the word dragon appears in the Old Testament 21 times. Wow. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this, but uh, 
a, a lot of people think that it's because there there was not a word for the other creature they were describing. Mm-hmm. So this was the default word for this horrifying, ferocious beast. Like a catch-all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in medieval times, the people that heard anything about dragons, what they knew was from the Bible. And it's likely that early Christians are in the medieval times believed in the literal existence of dragons. And so Leviathan, the massive monster that's described in the book of Job, seems to describe a dragon in detail. Now, this is a, this is a quote uh, regarding Leviathan uh, taken from the book of Job. It says, I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Now, that was taken from the New International Version, um, but it, it sounds like a dragon. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah that's what I was thinking know, the whole time. If I'm going to poetically describe a dragon, that's a pretty good way to do it. So um, it's also mentioned in Isaiah. In Isaiah 27.1, it reads, in the, in the day the Lord with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. So Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Um, Back to Job from Isaiah, but um, it's the oldest book in the Bible. And part of the book of Job is is God taking Job around and showing him all these amazing wonders. And he describes what he sees. Now, Understandably, Job doesn't know what he's looking at. You know, this is something he's being shown for the first time. So his descriptions are are very, um, very detailed, you know, very flowery um, because he's he's trying to portray through words the amazing thing that he's seeing in front of him. And so. When you you take some of these, you you have to look at them with uh, with a little bit of idea that he's not fully understanding what he's looking at, mm-hmm. and he's trying to describe it for a reader as best that he can. And one of the creatures that he mentions is is the behemoth. So the behemoth is first mentioned in Job chapter forty verse fifteen, and it's translated behemoth in the English Bible. Now, some commentators have suggested that the behemoth was simply an hip, a hippo or an elephant. But the passage makes it clear that this was an herbivore animal and described as 
chief of the ways of God. Now, certainly the hippo and the elephant, um, which also have other Hebrew names. So they knew what those things were. Right. They don't qualify as the biggest land animal, um, nor does their anatomy fit in the language that Job uses to describe it in verse 17, where it says he moves his tail like a cedar. The cedar tree was the biggest and strongest tree in the region, and it was used for construction of large projects and making weapons. And the cedar analogy really makes you think dinosaur, maybe right. not dragon, but dinosaur. But, you you know, if you if you go back to my point earlier, Job's trying to describe what he's seeing and he doesn't know what it is. And so he's using descriptors um, that people would understand. And so by describing the tail like a cedar tree, everybody knew how big a cedar tree would get. And that that idea of, OK, if a creature has a tail like a cedar tree, then it's really, really big. It's bigger than anything else we know of. Much bigger than an elephant, which does not have a cedar tail. Right. See, or tail like a cedar tree. Um, nor does a hippo. Right. That's you know, what I was sitting here thinking the whole time is, you know, tail like a cedar. Hippo's got this itty bitty witty tail thing that, you know, right. it flops yeah. around it. Nothing like that. Right. So. You know, he, he goes on and, and he he describes these things like the behemoth and Leviathan in this language that would make you think there's some that he's seeing something. He he's seeing a creature and he doesn't know what it is. So he's using this language and it paints pictures. And so these early Christians had these ideas of what these creatures would be. And especially in the case of Leviathan, it, it just formulates this idea of a dragon, which they would have already known what mm-hmm. was. Because, you know, Chinese history, Asian history, you know, predates medieval times. Right. So they already have an idea. And now they're learning the Bible. And here's Job describing what they're going to see as a dragon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And. If I'm hearing the descriptions of this enormous beast with a cedar tree-like tail, eventually I'm going to drift back to, that's another dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, here's, here's a description of a dragon in the ocean. Here's a description of a dragon on land. You know, this one just doesn't breathe fire. This one does. So really, really interesting that the Bible has these really vivid descriptions of these creatures that we're not really sure existed or not, you know, if we're talking about dragons. Mm -hmm. So skeptics mock this idea that there was a fire breathing monster of, of any kind. Um, But you know, who would have thought about an electric eel? Who would have thought about a a firefly? Or if you're from Tennessee, a lightning bug. Yeah. Lightning bug. My kids catch lightning bugs. They don't know what the heck a firefly is. (laughs) But if they hadn't seen them for themselves, they they wouldn't understand it. Um, and so there's a few things that you should consider about this. Firstly, it's a fairly clear teaching of Scripture. The, the Bible leaves very little room for metaphoric interpretation. So Job, talking about Leviathan again, says, Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. 
out of his nostrils goes smoke out, out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Now, if that's not fire breathing, I don't know what is. And, you know, I said all that from the beginning to say, this is Job describing what he saw, not what he read or not what he was told, what he saw. Right. They're experiencing it. That's right. So this is a creature that could do this according to what Job was shown. And, Secondly, there's there's more historical evidence that it, the multiple societies that were widely separated tell these stories. So we were talking about the medieval people already knowing what a dragon was because it, it took that amount of time for these kind of stories to to traverse that much area. I mean, we're talking about China as compared to medieval Europe. Mm hmm. You know, there was very little exploration that went on between them and and very little interaction. So the run of the mill medieval, you know, um, chamber pot emptier, uh, he he had not heard a lot of these stories. Right. You know, so unless he's, you know, the the wandering minstrels come through town singing songs about dragons, you know, they they probably don't know. And then once they hear this and then they're like, well, here's the Bible and it's talking about dragons. These things must be real Mm -hmm. because everything that you hear from the Bible, you know, you were taught to believe. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not going down this path (laughs) to believe the Bible or not. I'm I'm talking like I'm, you know, here I am, chamber pot, emptier, medieval guy named Tom. They called you chamber pot, Matt. That's right. No, Tom. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Matt, don't empty no chamber pot. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so why did they all think dragon? You know, I mean, it's not something that you know. Today, you know, you just like, oh, dragon, yeah, dragon, 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 Mm -hmm. because information has flown, you know, across the world. It didn't then, but dragon was in their head. You know, in Icelandic countries, they had dragons, you know, in, you know, the Mediterranean region, dragons, far, far East Asia, dragons, Europe, dragons. So that's where we talk about the, all those culture, these different cultures had these ideas of dragons. They had to come from somewhere, you know, so people weren't just sitting around going, hey, let's come up with a new creature. Right. You know. Something was seen, something was related that either was an actual dragon or it was something mistaken for a dragon. Right. And the stories and the legends and the the the, the descriptions, they, they grew bigger and broader and more varied. Right. And like you said, they, they were separate cultures. Right. You know? they, were, they were separate. So it was hard for that idea to pass quickly you know quickly enough from one culture to another for them all to have this idea at the same time right so what is it you know like you were saying how yeah you know exactly and the third thing we want to consider is some actual biological evidence of could there be a fire breathing dragon now there is a fire breathing 
air quotes, fire breathing beetle called the, uh, the bombardier beetle. And it works by having these chambers, you know, in its abdomen that house hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone. And when they mix together, they are ejected with a catalyst to confront a predator with this explosive mixture that can reach temperatures of 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. Mm-hmm. So here's this beetle that can essentially produce fire. He's not breathing it. Right. It's the other end. Well. <laughs> now, I had some chili one time. butt breathing. <laughs> That's a butt breather. Yeah, so I, I I know I know about fire coming out the other mm-hmm. end, <laughs> but this is a beetle that could really do it. So, a lot of researchers have looked into old dinosaur skulls from you know certain species, and they tend to agree that there are areas in the skull that could have housed. Uh, these chemicals and these chambers that kept them separate until a dragon would breathe and blow them out. And when they mixed, it formed a chemical reaction producing fire. Now, it sounds like I'm trying to get you to believe in the existence of a fire breathing dragon. I'm not. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and say, maybe it wasn't impossible. Right. That there was a creature that could do this and this was the the grand inspiration of all of these stories you know it, it very very believable that you know god showed job something that could do this mm-hmm. whether he he made him see it in a dream and and made him understand, you know, this is how I'm going to, this is how I'm going to save the world. I'm going to show you this beast that lives in the sea that breathes fire, this dragon. Because in Revelation, it talks about coming back and slaying this dragon. In Isaiah, it talks about God coming and slaying the dragon of the sea. So, you know, was it an actual creature? Was there a physical beast? Is there a physical beast? Or was this something that God was able to show Job and say, I'm I'm going to I'm going to show you this, I'm going to make you see this so that you can understand, so that Christians can understand the uh, the power that that I hold that I can I can conquer all evil and and create once again the image of a beast that embodies the power and the evil and I can overcome it so we, we don't know that you know the, we don't know that and and biblical scholars will they'll debate this kind of stuff for centuries um but it gives us an idea of how important the dragon is in in history 
and in literature because of the way it's used and what it portrays, even in the Bible. Mm-hmm. When, as you were talking about the the dinosaur bones and everything, and that that theory, that line of thought, um, we we kind of talked about this in the Champ episode previously about how we have skeletal remains of a creature, but we don't exactly know the full biology of this creature, how it did what it did, its bodily processes or anything like that. So again, going down the devil's advocate line, there are theories that say, you know, if there were going to be a large reptile that breathed fire like that, how would it do it? And it had theories of, you know, flint-type material teeth that it could spark its tongue across, create a spark, and then the chemicals that you were talking about would come out, hit that spark, and ignite. Um, Flint-type tonsils, so the same type of deal, spark its tonsils against each other, create a spark, and ignite the liquid. And there are also theories of this happening lower down in like the stomach because we know that birds and other creatures will eat stones to help grind food and they've actually found in a lot of dinosaur stomachs right there where the stomach would be they found stones so they said well these dinosaurs just like birds Mm -hmm. would ingest stones to help crush its food yeah. And help break it down. So the theory goes that maybe that happened too, that, you know, it, it would ingest a sparkable stone and could it basically belched fire. Yeah. Um yeah. there there's a lot of things we don't know or think about when it comes to prehistoric animals that could potentially be legit. Right. And uh That's why Jurassic Park was a bad idea. Right. (laughs) But, you know, all kidding aside, you know, we we do know through research that it's likely that dinosaurs, or at least a large portion of them, had much more in common with birds than they did with reptiles. Not only in their in their makeup and their their physical makeup, but in their behavior as well. And when you read stories about dragons, you see a lot of those bird-like characteristics. I mean, you you hear about dragons having nests. Mm-hmm. And you know, you 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 hear about that that protection, the I'm I'm protecting this, they like gold and shiny things. Um, you know, of course, flight, you know, but those behaviors, you know, one book in particular is, um, is the inheritance trilogy, um, Aragon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a story of, of a young man, you know, coming of age and raising a dragon, essentially they develop this bond and relationship and 
the behavior of the dragon is much more bird-like than it is reptile-like. And, you know, I, I go into all that to say this. Um, there are many creatures that could have been mistaken for dragons, not just big lizards, but large birds. And we know that there were dinosaurs that could fly. I mean, you know, pterodons were, they, they could fly. And if there were times where humans and dinosaurs were in the same region, which we could do a whole nother, whole nother show on humans and dinosaurs, but the sight of such a creature or a descendant of one of these creatures, you know, a, this semi bird lizard flight animal that could be viewed uh, by a human being would immediately begin to go, eh, I think that's probably a dragon up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably what I would think. Yeah. Of course, you know, I like dragons. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and that we're, we're, it's a soft lead in to the theories here that we're doing because one of the theories is the, the dinosaur hypothesis. Right. And, you know, they're talking, I guess, more of finding skeletal remains of these large dinosaurs, either, you know, pterodactyls, any, any type of pterosaur or, you know, raptors or T-Rex, and then assuming that it's a dragon, according to some of the tales that they've already heard. But, you know, kind of like Matt was saying there, if man was alive, say, at the tail end of the drag, uh, the dinosaurs being alive, they would see that, oh, maybe this is a dragon. And also, like Matt said, some of the descendants of dinosaurs could be mistaken for something that they kind of already had a a thought of. Mm -hmm. And so they put those physical attributes on something like that. Right. Um, A few of the other, like what people could mistake as a dragon, we'll kind of get into one of the, one of the big ones that a lot of people say is crocodiles. And, the Nile crocodile and the saltwater crocodile right now are some of the largest current reptiles on the planet. But to me, this theory doesn't hold up because they don't really exhibit the attributes that you think of as a dragon. Sure, big scary mouths, you know, they're reptilian scales they're tough and they're mean but they don't fly they don't have anything that would resemble a wing at all and they knew about crocodiles Mm -hmm. because if you look in the text they're 
they're recorded right alongside dragons. So it's not like we don't have any record of a crocodile, and then all of a sudden we do, where we we realized, oh, that's not a dragon, that's a croc. No, they knew this was a crocodile. So they would mention a crocodile and in the next breath mention a dragon. So I don't think there was any confusion there. Right. And they're not, even the largest crocodile is is not really as big as these descriptions of dragons right. would be. I mean, even even smaller ones, maybe. But the fact that they already knew what a crocodile was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and when you when you look at an alligator or a crocodile, you're you're really looking back into history. So these animals were around for a really long time in a very similar form as they are now. Right. So um yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of that idea either. But um but I do I I do agree with you in the fact that people could have mistaken dinosaur bones mm-hmm. for dragon bones. Right. <clears throat> and then and the, and the idea that if you didn't have a word to describe a dinosaur then you you had a word for dragon. Mm-hmm. Well, this must be a dragon. Right. You know. Right. These these big huge bones that that must be what they belong to. Right. I mean, and if you think of a dragon skeleton without skin and yeah. scales and all that, I'm sure it would look very similar to some large T-Rex or something sure, yeah, like that. Yeah, put it, you know, I think everybody's seen a picture of a T-Rex and a T-Rex skeleton. Put, mm-hmm. put wings on that thing. Right. What does it look like? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it, it would look it would look a lot like what a, a Western dragon would would mm-hmm. look like, or at sure. least what the what the descriptions and what artist renderings of dragons, you know, look like. Sure. I and mean, it would be very, very similar. And even a lot of the herbivore dinosaurs. Oh, it, yeah. You know, they would look, you know, four legged and just slap. Two wings on its back, and sure. there you go. I mean, you know, when we go back to the the biblical reference of you know the behemoth, you know this this large creature with trunk like legs and a and a and a tail like a cedar tree, you know, sounds like a a brontosaur, a brachiosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you 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 put some wings on it, you yeah. know, here you go, and you know, not all dragons had wings, and not you know even even throughout the the stories you know some dragons had wings some didn't some dragons with wings could fly some dragons had wings that couldn't fly right. some dragons could fly that didn't have wings so go figure yeah <laughs> so it's all across the board so that was puff the magic dragon right? <laughs> um so another one that kind of goes back to some of your biblical text is some people thought that whales the whale bones that would wash ashore could be confused for a Leviathan's bones. Sure. You know, you'd spoke of one in the ocean. So they said a lot of times before any of the cultures that lived by the sea actually were able to travel way out into the ocean where they would see whales, then they might think these bones belonged to some dragon of the sea 
and just misinterpret that. Now, again, I'm not sold on that theory. Um, I think we both, you know, everybody knows that we both kind of are falling along the lines of the dinosaur. Right. Now, you know, by now you've figured that out. Um, But one of the theories is they say that it could be whale bones. Yeah. But the idea of of a dragon or, or sea monster was was really prevalent. You know, again, you know, the the seas were not not as explored as the land because they didn't have the 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 nautical ability to to get that far or they were bound by fear. Mm-hmm. And when you look at those ancient maps, I think everybody has seen one of these, you know, the edges of the maps with a dragon there. It's here be dragons. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that went you know well into, you know, the the 14 1500s, you know, that map makers would continue to to use those the that symbology that out there we're, we're not sure what it is. There's dragons there. Right. You know, w- you know, especially if you've experienced, you know, bones that washed up on the shore that were from a huge animal that you had never seen. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think, oh, this this must be a dragon. Yeah, this it's got to be this dragon This is a bones. sea serpent, a sea dragon. And out there, we can't go out there because this is what was, this is what's waiting for us. Right, right. And that kind of leads into one of the other theories is that the human brain is where the dragon evolved, that it is an amalgamation of all the fears from our evolution that we put together into one creature, you know, large cats, large birds, and the unknown sea creatures that we kind of developed into the thought of a dragon. And that would go along the lines of, like you said, at the outer edges of a map, there's always a dragon. And it's we fear the unknown, and that's unknown to us, so we automatically assume that there is a monster out there. Now, I don't like this theory either because, you know, this puts puts down the intelligence, I think, of most humans um, because it's saying that, you know, we, we can't tell the difference between all this stuff and we can't tell what's real and what's fake. And just because we're scared of something, we're going to make up this dragon. I don't really like this theory. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's kind of a, a cop-out theory. And In a way... In a way, I agree. No, but I, I, I like it to a level of when when people would not understand something, when they saw something that they didn't fully understand, and it's kind of like the game, the telephone game. You know, I'm gonna tell you something, and you're gonna tell this person, and you're gonna tell this person. If if I'm an explorer. And and I'm I'm adventuring and I see something and I, I've never seen it before. And I'm I'm taking down notes. This is what this looks like. This is what the you know, this is what it does. I observed it doing this, this, and this. 
And then I have to come back and I have to, to tell all my countrymen, you know, th- these are the amazing things that I saw. And you describe these creatures and then they go and they tell someone and then they tell someone. And then they, they manage to tell someone from a different culture that has a, a different idea, a different language. And they're describing these things that, well, these live in the sea or these live in the mountains. And I saw them. And this is what they do. The story becomes, you know, adulterated with, you know, literary flair and artistic license and whatever you want to call it um, to the point where it becomes much more than what it is. And the idea of, well, I saw this creature and it was this big and it did this and it was able to do this or it was able to fly um, or, you know, it, it ate certain things that can transform as these tales are spread because these people haven't seen it to the point where you ask, you know, the hundredth person that's heard about this particular creature and they describe this thing that's enormous breathes fire, you know, torments the, the, the humans around it, you know, hoards gold, uh, you know, can take flight, you know, can, you know, eat, eat, uh, you know, a herd of livestock in one swoop, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And that's true. That's you know, true. so I, I, I don't like the theory because it, it, it makes you believe that we just made this up. And, you know, it just, we're just going to just make up a creature. Mm -hmm. I like it in the fact that it it tells me that there, there could have been some inspiration Yeah, that there were people that did see creatures that they didn't understand. And this is what they became. And they may not have been a true dragon as to what you or I would think of today. But they were totally different than anything else these people had seen. Mm-hmm. You know, not a crocodile, maybe a dinosaur, maybe an, a descendant of a dinosaur, maybe something that we absolutely know as a legitimate animal on this planet today that they didn't know then. And the descriptions just became more and more elaborate to to where the idea of dragons you know it, it took off you know especially when when sea exploration really began to grow and you know the idea that these explorers were going to sail to the new world they didn't know what they were going to meet and they see a a a sea creature that they have never seen or heard of before. What is it? Mm-hmm. It's under the water. I mean, you know, it, it's it's kind of like going back to our, our episode last week on Champ. We see something, we don't know what it is, and so we we try to explain it as best we can. You know, this thing is huge. It looks very dangerous. It attacked our boat. We didn't get a really good look at it, but this is what we saw. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else tells a story and another person says, that's a, that's a sea serpent. It's a dragon, it's a dragon of the sea. And you're lucky you got away with your lives. I don't, I don't know about the whole idea of a, of a, 
of a living creature truly having control of being able to breathe fire. Um, but you know, not all dragons did, according to many of the 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 stories that you read. Yeah, that could have been an exaggeration sure. on a you know on an actual living creature, but we don't know for sure. I mean, you know, again, we can't verify a hundred percent that there wasn't a creature that's able to breathe fire, you know? Yeah, we don't. Um, another, another thing that people say could have been mistaken were giant snakes. And I can, I can see this. If you look at the Eastern idea of a dragon, Mm -hmm. the long serpentine didn't fly. It crawled, um, I can see this as being an inspiration for a lot of these. If you, you know, go further back in history, snakes would get larger, like constrictors, pythons, stuff like that. We have ginormous ones anyway, anacondas. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen an anaconda. Right. They get huge. Yeah. And if, you know, if it were like scientists say that our oxygen levels were higher centuries ago then creatures are were able to grow larger and we may have had just insanely large snakes that people didn't understand were a snake because they thought of the normal size snakes that you see so they could have said well this snake this is a dragon and that would be where the eastern mythology for the dragon came from yeah and and think about this i mean there there is a spitting cobra Mm -hmm. you know a a cobra that actually spits venom so centuries ago you come across this snake in your group and and this giant snake something you've not ever seen spits something that burns you know somebody in your group's eyes face you know it's toxic to breathe and you go this animal this creature this serpent it breathed fire Mm -hmm. and that's where it comes and it may not have been you know actual flame right but it, it if it was a burning substance a liquid you know, fire. Sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's, it's you know, we're just pitching out ideas. Right. right? Um, another one that they say is the Goanna. And the only problem I have with the Goanna is because the Goanna is an Australian creature. And it, it's a monitor lizard. And, you know, they're a large predatory animal, razor sharp teeth and claws. And... They're used in traditional Aboriginal folklore, but, you know, even though they may produce venom that causes the bite wound to develop infections and everything, they were localized to Australia. Right. And this would have worked if dragon mythology only came out of Australia. Yeah. But we have it in so many other cultures across the world. And, 
you know, people don't say that everyone, every culture traveled to Australia. And, you know, if we could prove that every culture stopped off in Australia and from the Aborigines got this mythology, then okay. But it, for me to believe it, it would it would have to be a locally isolated thing that all dragons were in Australia. Right. And the fact that, you know, Australia was, you know, in this time isolated, you know, from, you know, the rest of the world in a way that, you know, many, many islands would have been, you know, Australia just being the largest, um, you know, it, it would have been difficult for, you know, history and, and lore about any creature in Australia. And even today, Australia's got animals that don't exist anywhere else on the planet, you know, that are, are, are highly dangerous and venomous and, you know, oftentimes, you know, not not very well researched because they are so dangerous or they're difficult to find. The idea would be great if you think that all this all this uh, dragon history came out of Australia mm-hmm. because of all the other crazy animals they have, you know, it, but it, but it doesn't. And the fact that they were separated by water, you know, it, it makes you think, OK, this this wasn't this wasn't a, a creature that was mistaken as a dragon through all these other cultures because they wouldn't have ever experienced this. Right. Um, the the megalania, which was the the largest of the goanna or or monitor lizards, um, it, it would it it predates um, what we know of as a monitor lizard today. Um, it's a it, essentially a prehistoric, the oldest. Or the the most recent fossil um, that they have of the megalania is about fifty thousand years old by estimate. But the interesting thing is these creatures, these lizards, could get anywhere from twenty five to thirty feet long. So this sucker was big, and it had not not venomous saliva to say it was. Uh, it was almost like uh, acid. You know, it would it would melt the flesh um, of its prey. So there is an idea that that could have been viewed as the fire breathing dragon, you know, something that had saliva so toxic that it could melt the flesh off of its prey. Um, But again, it, it was it was restrained within, you know, Australia, essentially. Right. Um. You know, but it is considered to be the ancestor of the Komodo dragon, which also carries that quality of having this toxic saliva. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting that it's the Komodo dragon, right? You know, which is a is a moniker that's given to a lot of monitor lizards um, that are very similar. Even even when you look at things like bearded dragons, you know, the smaller lizards that are are very tame and mm-hmm. and very easy to handle but they look like a dragon right right <laughs> at least what we think of when we see a dragon um so you know who knows i mean you know the, the, there could have been some of these these lizards much much larger 
that that were seen and mistaken and thought to be dragons, right? Based on the the you know the legends and the and the tales that were told, you know, here I am and I see this thing. I'm like, this has got to be a dragon. You know, it's it looks like a, a you know big lizard. It's got a long tail. It's got horns. It's got scales. You know, it's a dragon. It's mm-hmm. just it's just not mad enough to breathe fire, so I'm not seeing that. Right. Don't poke the dragon, you know. <laughs> um to end this up, I kinda wanted to throw this out there. Um it's a cousin to dragons. It's the the wyvern. And uh some of y'all may know what a wyvern is, some of y'all may not. Um but a wyvern, the reason I wanted to talk about it is it only has two legs. It has, you know, its back legs, and then its forelimbs have basically morphed into bat-like wings. Um, it's shorter than what we would normally consider a dragon to be. It's, you know, maybe four foot tall-ish, um, and it didn't attack humans. It didn't breathe fire. It would feed off of livestock. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, if you look at basically the way wings have formed through evolution, through other species, look at birds and bats and all that, they don't have four legs and wings. They have two legs and then the four limbs developed into wings. So basically evolution is saying you can't have you know, basically six appendages. Right. You can have four, and if you want to fly, then two of these have to be adapted into wings. So, to me, and this is just another one of these crazy atom theories, if evolution were going to create something like a dragon, I would think it would end up more like the wyvern rather than what we historically know as a dragon, because it fits the evolutionary path of morphology. And it's, you know, it's smaller, it's easier to handle, you know. Right. Um yeah. it it would fit with the I like dragons I can handle. Exactly. And so that would be a wyvern. It has attributes more like creatures that we know. They're not the magical mystical creatures they're not supposedly as intelligent or as cunning as a dragon they don't have a horde of gold they don't breathe fire they are just an animal and to kind of get an idea of what a wyvern would be like think of the dragons in game of thrones now they're a lot larger than what historically a wyvern is but they have only two legs, and the front two have become wings. And that's kind of what those dragons were based off of, is the wyvern. And it was kind of a mix between the western dragon and the wyvern. And I'm just thinking out loud here, if wyverns existed, then through Matt's telephone game theory... Could a wyvern that was seen, if it was an isolated creature up in the mountains or in a, in a place that wasn't as populated, 
if someone saw this and described this, it would very easily transfer into what our mythology of a dragon is. And just wanted to throw that out there for everybody to kind of think of and chew on that. Yeah. Chew on that a little bit and let us know what you think. Yeah. So, um, I got a couple of things that, uh, that you can go and, and chew on and, and, and check out. Um, there are, there are many videos available online of dragons. Um, some are totally unbelievable. Some are good enough that it makes you go, huh, that's uh looks like a dragon. Um, on August 1st in 2016, a video was uploaded to YouTube of a large winged creature flying over the city of Dallas, Texas. Now, in the video, a dragon-like creature is perched on top of what appears to be a radio tower. The creature spreads its wings and then casually flies away. Now, oddly enough, another dragon-like creature was reported in Dallas in 1995. So, Adam. Yes? Is there something you need to tell me about Dallas? (laughs) Everything is bigger in Texas. That was just a Texas bat. Oh, okay. They get to be about forty feet long, and yeah, go go what go just if you Google dragon video, it's going to come up. It's probably one of the first things you're going to see is this video, or or just Google Dallas dragon, and you'll find it. It is um, a really interesting. It video. is. I mean, and if it's if it's uh, if it's somehow CGI or you know whatever whatever video editors use like Photoshop, if, if it's done like that. Man, it's really good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's cool even if you just watch it. I mean, I you know, I didn't watch it and go, "Oh my god, that's a dragon." But you want to. Yeah. I mean, you really do when you see it. I mean, you really think, "Golly, that's really cool." Now, another video that is more compelling, um it comes from Monterey, Mexico. Now, the story on this video is that there was a group out you know, hiking in the woods, and they come across this strange winged creature in the wilderness. They weren't able to identify it, but they decided they would capture it. It's small, you know, in comparison to what we think of when we say dragon. Um, it's probably about the size of a small dog. Cough, cough, wyvern. Cough, cough. <laughs> right. So... They didn't know what to do with it, so they took it to a local television station, and and the the media in Mexico exploded with this. It was all over the television, and I mean, this video is a good I don't know, two two and a half minutes long of them holding this thing, and it it lets this handler you know hold it, and it does an attack, and it it'll open its mouth, and this mouth it it opens really wide for the size of this whatever this animal is and it's completely white on the inside much like um many snakes will have that a cotton mouth yeah you know uh, but no no teeth that you can really discern mm-hmm. you know certainly no fangs so you don't immediately think it's it's not a venomous snake um it does have wings and the reports is is that it was seen flying initially um, you know, 
and really it looks almost like some kind of those the flying squirrel thing mm-hmm. you know that has it doesn't have wings it has like a membrane you know between its its appendages that allows it to glide it, it looks similar to that but you don't see enough of the creature to to make that determination right um but you do see them them holding it handling it it opens its mouth and then they put it into uh an animal carrier now like i said this exploded over um you know the the media in mexico i mean you know local news stations were running this video um because they didn't know what it is now the interesting part about this is that once it goes into this carrier you you don't know what happens mm-hmm. it's it's done there's no more videos there's no more reports of what it was or we figured it out it's just gone and that's it so there there's no conclusion to this story um but it has been dubbed the Monterey Dragon. Right. So yet another video you can go watch. It's compelling. There's like I said, there's many others. There's one that I didn't include here, but I'm I'm gonna bring it up. Um there was a, I think this is another one from 2016. I think this we ought to look see 2016 was the year of the dragon. It may be. <laughs> it was as far as YouTube videos are concerned. <laughs> um this video is taken from uh, a gentleman that was um, that was cave exploring in Asia, and he's standing in a part of a cave that has uh, essentially a, a stream in it, and he videos this long snake-like creature, but the head is entirely too large. Mm-hmm. The head is large with. You know, it, it bulbs out um, like you would see a dragon, and it's got a very long snout. And as it's swimming, you see these little tiny spindly legs come out and actually grab rocks and and push it away and through uh, narrow spots. And then right towards the back, you see two more little legs trailing along. So... It's essentially looks like a four-legged snake with a great big head, and it's completely white, so it shows up well in the video. Of course, if it's cave-dwelling, it would be, Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason I didn't really include it as part of this these dragon videos, even though it is online, is... is there are salamanders that look like this. Um, you know, mud skippers kind of have this same kind of shape. The hellbender here in Tennessee. Yeah. So it's intriguing and the video this video has been analyzed and the video is not is not fake or altered. So it hasn't been edited. So what this guy's videoing as far as what you know investigators can tell He's really seeing, um, but I think what he's really seeing is just a very strange creature that we already know exists. Mm-hmm. Um, it does look different because it is white in this cave, but there's a lot of cave dwelling creatures that they're white. Could anyway. be a different species of uh, already known salamander. You Absolutely, know. Um, but it but it is cool to watch. So if you if you kind of put dragon in your head and you watch this video, then you're kind of like, ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. But just understand, it, it 
it, most likely it's something that's legit. Right. <laughs> and it was just, but again, that goes back to our idea that people saw animals. They didn't know what they were and they defaulted to dragons, you know, if they couldn't explain it. So, um, well, you know, we had a lot of fun looking into dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is kind of, uh, this is kind of off of the, the norm for us. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we like to talk about cryptids and creatures and all that kind of stuff, but I think this may be the first actual like mythological creature that we've done. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and if y'all like it, let us know and we'll try to do more of them. Yeah. We, we can do, you know, you know, Adam really likes unicorns. So I do. Yeah. He loves unicorns. So <laughs> it, it fits in with my brony fetish. <laughs> there, there is one thing I do want to mention briefly. If, if you're like me, I, I, I like dragons a lot. I like books about dragons, movies about dragons. Um, when, when I was, when I was first really getting into drawing, uh, a dragon was one of the first things I really focused on learning how to draw. So I had a lot of drawings of, of different dragons. Um, one of my favorite books to, to just sit down and look at is a book called Dragonology. And there was a whole series of these books that came out. There was Wizardology and all these different things where they're essentially picture books. Um, you know, but they're presented in such a manner like it's uh, like it's a manual on how to understand whatever the subject is. And that's what this dragon book is. And so it covers a lot of the lore around dragons from around the world. And it does, it describes wyverns and it describes forest dragons and it describes the differences and it describes, you know, how they're born and how they care for one another and how intelligent they are and how they breathe fire. You know, it's a completely fictional book, but it's got some amazing artwork in it and some really unique stories that are great. So if if you enjoyed this show, if you if you like, you know, reading about dragons, if you like stories about dragons, check this book out. Um, It's by a gentleman um, named uh, Ernest Drake. Uh, and, and it's a really cool book. It's a big book. It's a book that you'd want to set out and let people see. So, um, just a little, just a little plug for a, a book that that you know, I, I really, really enjoy. And I think if you like dragons, you'll enjoy it too. Right. So, and you can find it on Amazon. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. It'll run you less than twenty bucks. Um, you know, it's it's a really cool thing to have around. Uh, and uh, just I may like, go sit buy that on, book now. Sit out on your coffee table. Yeah, it, it's cool. If, you, if you've got other books like this about mythical creatures or whatever, this is a good one to add to your collection. So, uh, so as we close, um, be sure and go and check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And, and there you'll find information about the show, information about Adam and I. Um, there are links to uh, purchase uh, Graveyard Tales merchandise. Uh, you can become a patron. And you can, of course, listen to the show. So go and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find us by searching Graveyard Tales. And join our Facebook group. We are we are up to 470 members we looked at. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the activity in there, I mean, there are conversations that go on and on on some of these threads that don't even involve Adam and I. So, you know. The, the members in there, we love that. yeah, they're great. Um, 
it's a, it's a safe place to come in and and share some of your personal stories. We have a lot of listeners in there that do just that, and we absolutely love it. Um, you know, there's a lot of fun in there. We we kid and poke, but you know, nobody's mean, nobody's hateful, and nobody's going to look down on you for sharing something that you've experienced. We all just want to hear that. Um, and as always, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It makes us easier to find. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening tonight, and until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. 